Good morning. My name is Andrea Simonchov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Yeah, I bet you thought somewhere. Well, I did go somewhere. I went lots of somewheres and um, doing a show, reaching out, having our weekly live get-together just was not on the agenda. And um, I hope you missed me as much as I missed you. Back in holy Israel, Boketover, it's Israel. Soon we'll give out the romper room call and we'll announce who's listening in live as if anybody could even believe I'm back. And um, let's snuggle up. If it's late at night where you are, I hope you're having a glass of wine or a nice glass of chamomile tea, maybe a drop of honey. And if it's morning by you, the way it is by me, I have a big cup of herb tea to pretend I'm healthy and I'm on my second cup of coffee. I have been away so long, but not just not just physically away, but pulled away from my holy, my precious Israel, dealing with those sandwich generation issues that so many of us find prevalent. Um, I remember being a little girl and any one of my mother's friends who was the age of 50 and older, sort of in my child's mind, went into this blank nether zone of age, you know, of, of just, there's a great line, a great, I don't know if it was George Bernard Shaw who wrote it or the, that he who wrote the actual libretto for the play Mame, but there's a wonderful line in the play, the Broadway show, the musical Mame, where Mame Larger Than Life, played by Angela Lansbury, played by Carol Channing, played by all uh, wonderful, exciting, vibrant actresses. And when Mame's best friend, Vera, who is a over-the-top emotive actress, says to her friend, oh, thank you for the compliment. I know I look good. How old do you think I am, Mame? And Mame looks at her and says, oh, I'd say somewhere between 40 and death. Well, that's how I looked at my mother's generation. It was somewhere between 50 and death. It was this nether zone. And guess what? I'm well beyond, well beyond that 40-year mark, well beyond the 50-year mark, way beyond the 60-year mark. And still not just kicking, not just breathing, but participating and vibrant as all are as everybody listening in, I'm certain, is. If you're listening to Israel News Talk Radio, you are more alive than others. Okay, we have Boca. We have, oh, wow, it's night. The states are listening in. Very excited. Um, yeah. And we have Boca Tover. It's Israel is with us. It's a beautiful day. Maybe we will finally get our spring, get our summer. Uganda is with us today. Very nice. And we seem to have a slew of other. Okay, our computers are picking up other. Before, just down to business, anybody who wants to be on the mailing list uh, to receive a monthly article, not uh, not pull up a chair related necessarily, just some of my generally more humorous um, observations, happenings of the month, uh, drop me an email, just call it, put in the subject line, article, and your email address, and I will be happy to add you 
to the mailing. Also, anything on this show that excites you, irritates you, you have a question about, uh, please drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Happy to address, I think pretty much, if anybody has written to me and I haven't written back, send me a note, scold me gently, and we will repair the oversight. I don't think it's happened, but, you know, last I looked, I was still human. So as I said, I was away for a long time. I had gone to America for Passover. Oh, good morning. Well, good afternoon. It's late. Japan is with us. We haven't had Japan with us for quite a while. Welcome, welcome. Um, It was a long time. And uh, as you may know, many of us are blessed even though we ourselves are considered senior citizens, I have a mother who, please God, should grant her continued strength, should grant her continued health, Will is just soon to be 94 years old. And um, these are not vacations. It's time to really, I live far away. I wish I could be closer. I wish I could do more. I have a holy brother and sister-in-law. I mean holy with an H, not a WH. Um who really see to mom's every needs. And I come in like riding on a white horse, the big hero once or twice a year. Ho, ho, she's from Israel, but really. And it was a very wonderful, meaningful trip. We did have a little meeting in between. I talked about it, but all I kept thinking about was, I need my Israel to recover. I need to sit by the water. I need to go to the Kotel, the Western Wall, Um, I need to walk in her hills. I need to um, traverse the cities. I need to re-infuse with holy Israel. And the weather didn't cooperate. We came back to a crazy after Passover. Those of you who live here, wasn't that loopy, the weather? I mean, (laughs) global warming, ozone thinning, something nutty was going on. And I couldn't get to that little timeout vacation, and suddenly I was needed in South Africa. No, let me correct that. I needed to be needed in South Africa, and thus I went. It was a fascinating trip to South Africa. I have a daughter who lives there and is experiencing, uh, it's not a secret, experiencing a personal crisis. And um, I went there to be a grandma, not to opine, not to throw in my legal two cents, but to be the spiritual bubby grandma that I could be, to do what I knew how to do. And it's funny because when I get to South Africa, something about me always feels old. Why? It's young, it's vibrant, but I go by myself. And when I go by myself, my job is grandma. I'm not a wife. I'm not a radio personality. I'm not a writer. I'm grandma. And so I stood for eight days in this little apartment and I made chicken soup and froze it. And I made meatballs and I froze it. And I made applesauce and I didn't freeze that. And what else did we make? Beef stew. And I read books. And I was the bubby, all the time while holy people came in and out of this little world that we created just for healing. 
And in South Africa, and if any of you are listening now and who were part of that holy trip, I am still speechless. I met the most staggeringly proactive, holy, selfless individuals from primarily the Jewish community in South Africa. Um, not a time to name names. And I met some of the most holy, loving, giving, funny, spiritual individuals in the non-Jewish community. And because this segment will end, I need to share one moment to tell you about the miracles that happened. In South Africa, my job was to be a grandma. My job was not to opine on this please God crisis, which will soon come to a wonderful resolution, a wonderful end. And what happened was, as I left and I went to the airport and I said goodbye to my daughter, and we had said nothing about the situation while I was there, and I said goodbye, and suddenly it was as though the dam had broken and I stood in the middle of Tambo International Airport, wailing, crying as though I had been told about the death of a loved one. I could not stop crying. And my daughter stopped and I said, go, go, run, go. And I got onto the security line, still crying, still unable to get a grip. Not a pretty scene. And two men stepped off the line, if I tell you. They must have been 6'4", 6'7". They must have been rugby coaches. These two massive Afrikaans men walked over to me and wrapped their arms around me and held me, held me in a hug until I stopped shaking, until I stopped crying. They held me and embraced my sadness, and one just whispered into my headscarf, it will be all right. And then they disappeared. I could not identify them again. I couldn't tell you who they are. Angels come in all shapes, all sizes, all ethnicities, all of us as part of God's holy human fabric. We can be cruel to each other and we can be so deliciously kind. I don't know who my angels were, but I knew at that moment the assignment had been proffered to me. And that assignment is pay it forward, see pain, embrace it out of the other. My name is Andrea Simintov. I'll see you on the other side. Warning. Take cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. 
Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. You think you can get real news about Israel from major news sources located far away from Israel? Think again. Get it from the source. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight Talk. One from- Minute of Torah. How can we influence someone for the good in a way that it will really last? Well, let's look into this week's Torah portion, Ba'alot Techah. There, God instructs Moses to instruct Aaron, the high priest, how to light the lamps of the menorah, the candelabrum, and the tabernacle. And how indeed was it to be done? Teach our sages until the flame rises by itself. Meaning, Aaron was required to wait by the wick to make sure the flame was burning strong on its own before he walked off. In our lives, we often have the opportunity to ignite the spark in someone's soul, be it a child, colleague, or even a stranger. The way to make sure it will last is to imitate the lamplighting service in the tabernacle, meaning more than just forwarding an inspiring email or showing someone once how to do a mitzvah or even giving the contact information of a rabbi. We need to stay at their side, holding our wick near their wick, teaching them and guiding them until the light in their soul is burning so strongly and steadily on its own that it is then able to go out to light the souls of others. Only then will we be assured that their light will last. With your Iron Chairman of Torah, this is Chava Zekovich. And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I see that South Africa has actually joined us. Wow, very nice, very exciting. Um... Crazy. I have like 107 pages of notes and I haven't gotten there yet because I'm still sometimes, you know, okay, we're trying to find a way to say that. (laughs) There's a need to protect ourselves this day, these days. There's something very scary going on out there and we know it. We know what's going on. Cyber crime, cyber theft, uh, stealing people's information. And yet I maintain, and because I haven't given this tons of thought, I'm still mulling it about, but I think whatever we're gaining in this world of incredible safety, I mean safety, necessary, critical safety for our children, I mean, no need for this show to, um, to, to spell out the filth that hides and lurks in each corner. Um, ready to assail our precious babies. And yet, nevertheless, there's something about being able to share a happiness, a sadness from a good to a good friend, to a not yet friend, to a I wish he were my friend. And um, from the notes I receive, I would think that Many of us have that same feeling, that need to connect. Uh, Politics, we hit it every once in a while. And believe me, it's not going anywhere. Uh, One of the things that I, in, in relation to what we spoke about before the break, several years ago, I don't know how many of you remember this story, the wonderful, the staggeringly brilliant and brave Boston Globe writer, 
Jeff Jacoby. He had a family crisis. It was something so terrible uh, without going into details. And truthfully, I don't know the details and none of us know the details because his dignity was so critical and so protected that nobody knew. But apparently his son had run away, had left. For a time, he did come back. And I, um, I remember he, he didn't want to comment. He was hounded by the press. He is quite reviled by the political left. And they just love that drama, went to town on him. Um, he might even have taken a short leave of absence. But he was excoriated by his detractors. I don't know Jeff Jacoby. My heart broke for him. At the time, my children, my nieces and nephews were young snot-nosed kids running around, giving me aggravation, staying out an hour past curfew. You know, that kind of stuff. Preferring to eat dessert rather than dinner. All the things we think are the end of the world things. And here was a crisis. I think about Jeff Jacoby quite often how he continued his work, he continued his mission, but he was real. And if we're not real, if we're not up front, if we don't come face to face with our God in heaven and say, help me. I remember, I've mentioned this before, that sometimes when people are trying to manipulate outcomes, I'll say, I'll go, I'll pay, I'll do. And then when that doesn't work, or they're still waiting for results and answers. How often have we heard, you know what? At least I can pray. When nothing else to do, I can pray. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Before we try to manipulate outcomes, grab the steering wheel, take control and pray. That is number one. Absolutely number one. During this period of time that I've been absent, um, because I wasn't able to attend or get into my regular Torah classes that most of which I take on Zoom, couldn't concentrate, couldn't anything. I made it my business to order Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which I had been meaning to read for 107 years. Finally, I got it. Of course, I couldn't read it over the uh, two-day holiday because <laughs> the other guests grabbed it and read it. But I also picked up a charming little book over that period. Uh, it was a book by uh, Rabbi Avraham Tversky. Zatzal, may he rest in peace. And the name of the book, if I have it, I don't even know where I put it. It's not next to my desk here. But I think the book was called... Um, Hold on, what was the book called? Uh, I'd like to call for help, but I don't know the number. Charming book based on his experiences as a, uh, a mentor, a guide, a proponent of, and a frequent attendee of Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And these books were so charming, but more than charming, I knew I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. I wanted to do a show last week. I was back already. I had like just gotten off the plane, still quite jet lagged. I told some very good friends 
in South Africa that, yes, yes, don't worry, I'll be doing a show, please God, next Thursday morning, Erev, the eve of Shavuos. But then it turned out that the powers that be at Israel News Talk Radio correctly said to me, well, it won't really be a Shavuos show because uh, nobody will be able to put up the show before the two-day holiday. So the show, all that Devar Torah, all those Torah talks, all those insights won't come out until afterwards. And they were right. But there's one I must share. And I don't have any notes in front of me, so I hope you'll forgive me. It's off the top of my head. We know that Ruth, and this part is dedicated to my friend A period, G period, with whom I had a lovely cup of tea, a listener to this show, who knowing I was going to be in South Africa, hounded me, dogged me, stalked me, and delighted me by spending a morning visiting with me, having a cup of coffee. And I'm very grateful, and I'm changed from our visit, dear listener, A.G. Uh, And hold through, hold tight, I will be coming through on that uh, guarantee that I made to you. Anyway, he reminded me that Ruth, our our typical convert, When she and her mother-in-law, Naomi, left to go seek their sustenance, there were two daughters-in-law. One was Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And when Orpah left her mother-in-law to go back to her people, she kissed her mother-in-law. A kiss, a lovely. Maybe she kissed both cheeks. A neshika, that's how we say it in Hebrew. Neshika, we say to our grandchildren, ten, ten after neshika, give me a kiss. But the root of the word neshika is neshek. It's a weapon. Could be a knife, could be any other kind of weapon, because a weapon has to be used carefully. It could be used for bracha. It could use, be used for evil. There's always that question mark around the neshika, the kiss. We all saw the, uh, the mafia movies, the kiss of death. Okay, the neshika. Ruth, on the other hand, and Naomi embraced. There was a hug, a chibuk, chibuk. The root, it's the same word we use for glue, for adhering, for sticking, for closeness. Hugs don't lie. To press one's body up against the body of another and to feel that heartbeat is something far, far more intimate than a kiss. That's when I talk about the strangers. How much does a hug wave weigh? It's very easy to do that international, that air kiss. What do they used to do the French? Cheek, 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 the air kiss. Bye, darling. You look fabulous, darling. But to step in and hold another human being 
And I think to myself, to say, to sign off with hugs, to sign off with the idea that I will embrace you, embrace your pain, embrace your dreams, embrace your hopes, embrace your sadness. There's something so phenomenally intimate and loving of that. And I just wanted to share those thoughts this morning. Oh, one more thing. Anybody listening in from South Africa? I went to synagogue on South Africa by, in South Africa by myself. I went to the Santin Shul. And what a wonderful experience. Despite the fact that, indeed, South Africa is awash with what they call, what is it called? Load shedding. The electricity goes out. Just goes out. My Shabbos lights went out. And came back on. Um, many people it didn't come back on for. I had set up a hot pot to have hot water on the Sabbath. It went off. It never went back on. But to pray with other Jews in the Santin Synagogue, the Santin Shul, complete strangers, and having a lovely kiddish, sharing a plate of tuna fish and a barakas with a lovely woman. When she asked me what my name was, and I told her, she said, oh, pull up a chair. Israel News Talk Radio. And with that, I'll see you on the other side. Listen to Israel News Talk Radio in the background while you work and get the latest news and commentary from Israel. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Millions of babies are born each year with severe genetic diseases. Screening methods include amniotic fluid tests that are invasive and not without risk. Other tests may only detect less than 10% of known genetic disorders. An Israeli firm called Identify Genetics is working on technology to provide prenatal screening for genetic disorders using a simple blood test from the mother during the first trimester of the pregnancy. Proprietary data science algorithms can provide a comprehensive high-resolution view of the fetus's health. The fetus's DNA is then digitally isolated using a computational process. The fetus's DNA is reconstructed at high resolution. Mutations are located and analyzed, resulting in a genetic report that can help doctors identify genetic disorders early in the pregnancy. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechTalk.com. With your INTR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello. And we're back. Yep. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Uh, as I said, drop me a note and uh, let me know what some of your thoughts are. Crazy. I had so many. I have like 17 pages of notes today. There were a couple of things I did want to speak about. Happenings during uh, during my absence, during the week. Um, I do. I don't want to go into the Devar Torah section without mentioning as much as we celebrate and we hail and we um, are humbled by the story of Ruth, I, it would, I would be remiss not to say that Israel is, I would say once again, but probably we've never been uh, relieved of it, the scourge of missionary 
activity, Christian missionary activity. And um, with God's help, I'll address more of it last week because um, hmm, few particular items. I don't want I don't want to give it short shrift. I want to do it properly. I want to share some of the things that have really made me gasp once or twice. And I'd like to know your thoughts on it as well. And I know that we have so many really true um, Christian friends of this station and um, who are not out to missionize the Jews. But uh, I'd like to know some of your thoughts. Anyway, that will be next week, unless, of course, our enemies have other ideas or other fabulous stuff goes on. All right. This week's Torah, um, Torah segment, you know, okay. You know, we read, we read in the, um, we read in the Torah, uh, in the Chumash, the five books of Moses, and there's a lovely quote that kind of gets overlooked, and it says, also, on the day of your rejoicing, on your festivals, and on your Rosh Chodesh days, Rosh Chodesh means the, the first of the month, the head of the month, you shall sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a remembrance for you before your God. I am the Lord, your God. Anybody have any ideas what that means? If not... You're not that alone, because Rashi also struggled with it. You know, the trumpets are sounded on Rosh Chodesh and the festivals, but what is really meant with on the days of your rejoicings? So Rashi, um, customarily, usually he, he, he explains the context of these verses that are unclear to the Torah reader. But you know, when we have a close look at his commentary, we know that he doesn't really offer very much, and yet... Rashi, historically and famously, is indeed one of the most honest of commentators who would very happily say, gee, I don't know. Some of the commentaries talk about the days of Shabbat, while others say that they're referring to the festivals. So why didn't Rashi explain that the days of rejoicing alluded to Shabbos? or the days of the festival. He doesn't say. The late Rebbe Lubavitch, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Schneerson, starts to unravel these mysteries by examining this basic attribute to Rashi. Okay? He says, you know, we Rashi didn't know the meaning, he would have said, I don't know. We have a very famous thing. We always say, what's bothering Rashi? Okay, but he would say, I don't know. So, the Rebbe kind of coerces us to turn to the immediately preceding verse. And it says, when you go to war against an enemy who oppresses you in your land, you shall sound a staccato on the trumpet. You will then be remembered before God, your Lord, and you will be delivered from your enemies. On the days of your rejoicing can be linked to and continues to the theme of that verse. What are the days of our rejoicing? Let's talk about prayer, which is where Rabbi Schneerson is leading us. I'm thinking about a friend of mine who recently said, prayer, it's so boring. 
why could we, why do we do that when there's so much to do? There are so many books to read. There are so many Zumba classes to attend. My answer is, Rabbi Schneerson's answer is, it's my answer. Um, during the time of prayer, it's a time of battle. At that time, those of us who pray, how many times are we distracted in our prayer? How many times are we going through the pages of our Siddur, praying, saying the words we've said so many times, and we can't even remember if we said the last prayers. Did we do it? Did I skip that? Did I mention it? Why? Because we're thinking about our Sabbath menu. We're thinking about that new car our son bought. We're thinking about what time is that podiatrist's appointment? We have all kinds of alien thoughts. And the Torah teaches us that victory, victory over our enemies, can be achieved by sounding a staccato, meaning by the person becoming contrite, brokenhearted, a state that leads the person to cry, to cry with short staccato notes. That person will then be humbled before God, beseeching him that he have mercy. This is a quote. He have mercy upon his soul and save it from the turbulent waters. What does that mean? That being able to cry either physically or spiritually at the time of prayer will deliver us from our enemies. A person can mistakenly think that the service of humility and self-nullification, you know, beating the chest, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, is necessary only by, 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 by making the prayer qualitative. However, once we vanquish that enemy, once we cry out that which is distracting us, we serve God with a great measure of comprehension and emotion. That verse, the sounds of rejoicing, and the message, according to Rabbi Schneerson, is very, very clear. It's not, um, it's not ab abstract. It requires no further explanation, as Rashi indicates. The verse tells us, that even after one has vanquished his enemies and has achieved a state of union with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be He, that spiritual dimension of bringing offerings. What are our offerings? Our daily prayers in lieu of sacrifices. This is when the trumpets must still be sounded. Self-reflection no matter how much the person has already achieved in his spiritual quest, that self-reflection, the humility, the contrition, these are the necessary ingredients. Just some thoughts on prayer. Okay. The Torah instructs Aharon, Aharon, the Rodef Shalom, the seeker of peace, the seeker of truth, and through him all of his successors, the high priests of Israel, that when lighting that great menorah, one should make certain 
that the six outside lamps, remember, don't get confused with the Hanukkah menorah, the eight lamps and the shamash in the middle, but the menorah, the great menorah, is six arms, and they should all face into the center lamp. Well, I don't know about you. I'm not really a design major. I mean, go to FIT. But there are a lot of opinions like, how exactly do you do this? So in some cases, the wicks themselves were bent inwards, or maybe the lamps themselves, the arms, were tilted toward the middle lamp. Or, according to Rabbi Wine, it could have been that this was only one of the recurring miracles that defined the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem. These are just a couple of ideas that are advanced to explain how it was accomplished. The words of the Torah are accurate. Okay, I say v'nishma. We do, you know, we say and we do. So the greater question, obviously, is what is the lesson? What is the Torah imparting to us by this instruction that the outside lamps should face the middle lamp? Well, you know, in the physical world, that physical world upon which so many of us involve our lives. It's much more intense and it's much more concentrated wherever light is. Anybody who has ever studied art appreciation or art history, you don't have to know the name of the painting. You go to the museum, uh, you go to the Renaissance art, the medieval art. You just look and see where is the light in the painting. Wherever the light is, this is the artist speaking to me. Diffused light creates mood, atmosphere. But it doesn't really show us what lies ahead of us. And that light of the menorah is a symbol in Jewish life. Torah, studying Torah, support, observance. It requires a focus. It requires concentration. It can't be found in the corners, the dark recesses of that beautiful piece of art. It cannot serve its true purpose in our lives when it exists among us only in a kind of a shadowy light, generalized sense. Our rabbis taught us that when the focus, that what the focus of Jewish life is and should be, Torah, Godly service, human kindness, consideration. What else do we need? What else are we called upon to be, to, to be involved in and immerse ourselves in? Other causes are only to be granted diffused light as they by themselves will not serve to erase the darkness of our existence and our society. Every human life every family, families that are in struggle, your family, my family. Even educational and commercial enterprises require focus and concentration. It doesn't just happen. We're supposed to have priorities. When priorities become plans, when priorities result in actions and concentrated ideas that can grab our attention, utilize our talents, our talents, celebrate 
those resources we can find. This is called Judaism. And Judaism demands that we focus upon love and study of Torah and its observances. It is not an afterthought. Well, we can at least pray. Torah comes first. It is the blueprint. Breathe in, breathe out. Make sure it's a Torah breath, inhalation and exhalation. And when we concentrate our daily conversation and our prayer services with our creator, we are indeed making sacrifices, sacrifices that will result, if not in immediate rewards that we in our limited sense can access or even identify in the rewards that matter. We're required to serve God. We are required to do God's bidding, to say at every moment when we reach a crossroad, when the yellow brick road splits, we say, what does God want? It's not easy. It requires effort, sacrifice, devotion, maybe not even belief. Maybe belief is the gift. I don't know. The most challenging area of our religious life to be immersed in prayer and not be distracted by real concerns or the sounds of the birds in the trees. Kindness towards others. Well, I don't know about you guys. It's sometimes very, very hard. Sometimes it requires focus. Sometimes it requires a laundry list of step A, step B, step C. Because according to Rabbi Wine, in a world of diffused light, we all subscribe to the notions of good behavior, social responsibility, charitable ideals. However, when we're really faced with those individual tests of performing a specific human kindness to a specific human being, we oftentimes back off from that responsibility. Our focus is not present. It's selective. We're prevented, not out of malice, but it's a lack of concentration from performing the necessary acts of kindness that lie in front of us. And that is the lesson of the menorah, the one of focus, the focus that allows the spirit of godliness to lean in, lean toward, and light our way through our lives. You know, a lot of times I hear, let me just take a sip, okay? We try to keep the show real. Mm -mm. Yeah. Um, no doubt, so many of us listening in really are. I mean, why would you listen unless God played some role in your life. Whatever your vision of God is, whatever your reality is, I'm still stuck on my Rabbi Tversky book. That higher power. I know 
that so much of the fears that grip other human beings, people who did not merit religious insights, a connectedness to God, my heart breaks for them because so much of those fears that man experiences every day, I know that in my particular world are kind of alleviated. And yet, and yet, there's so much uncertainty. So many things we don't know. One could be as religious and observant as they want and still fear the future. You know, B'nai Yisrael in, this, in Sinai, in the desert, what was that constant refrain? We want to go back to Egypt. It is rough here. It is too hard here. The future is too uncertain. Who the heck are you, Moshe, to be telling us what's going to be? In Egypt, we were at least familiar. We knew what to expect. We're all terrified of the future. We lack that self-confidence to know that we can, we were built, we were created to overcome difficulties, even those we haven't encountered yet. When we reach into that godly voice, that place in our belly that's there to tell us that we're up to the task. Don't be frightened. There's a psychological weakness that kind of permeates the entire series of events of the uh, desert. Okay, in the book of the desert, Bamidbar, in the desert. You know, there's a security in the past. I remember this terrible, terrible scene. I once saw a film. Uh, just looking at the clock here, it was a made-for-movie television. And as I told you, there's Torah all over. And I remember it was a terrible, terrible scene where a child, a young child, was in court. And the state was taking her away, wanted to put her into foster care uh, and, 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 and hopefully up for adoption because this child was so heinously abused by her mother and her boyfriend, that she bore scars on her body. And I don't have to go into great detail. It was heartbreaking, a heartbreaking story. And what happened when the court, the judge ruled against the parent and the child was taken lovingly into the arms of the foster parents who would then take her? What did the child do? She screamed her arms out screamed towards this woman and man who had put cigarettes out on her body and done worse. And what did she scream? Mommy, mommy, take me, mommy. Who are we? Even knowing what we know, we're willing to stay there rather than face an uncertain future that God promises us will be not just okay, good. There's a security in that past, a past that wasn't even pleasant, wasn't even embracing. 
We see this in the Jewish world today. People want to return to an Eastern European past that can never be renewed instead of, try, of attempting to create a greater future which will be relevant in the unfolding days as we wait for the coming of Moshiach, the Messiah. This statement, let us return to Egypt, is representative not only of the generation of the desert, but I'm sorry to say, it is us. We hear it again throughout Jewish history and in our time as well. Rabbi Wine uses a wonderful word. He says, it's a seductive statement, but it's a dangerous one. Even if we want to do so, there never was the ability to return to Egypt and to recast the world as it once was instead of what it is. You know, I digress from my notes a moment. My husband, Ronnie, often says, you know, we've created this romantic idea of the shtetl, that every Jew lived in Anatevka, a Tevya the milkman shtetl, where people were cute and people made jokes and people, um, you know, it, it was just, and people danced and people broke rules and, and the Sabbath was always tranquil. There were very not good days for Jews in Eastern Europe and the shtetl was not Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. No matter how we judge current events, there's no question the world has changed. And those certainties that we believed were there, which weren't, that's pipe dreams. Human beings, especially, especially the Jewish people, we are adaptable, we are flexible. We are flesh and blood and porous and gamish. We're capable of facing the challenges of an unknown future. Yes, we are. It is within our power to renew our self-confidence and proclaim that we are willing and able to build a newer, a morally healthy, a humanly beneficial society. My two Afrikaans angels in the airport, they knew this. They hugged it into me. This society will offer us an opportunity that has not been granted too many times. We're being given today, starting now, an opportunity to mold, to shape the Jewish future, to make it more productive, more inviting, more appreciating. We have to appreciate every day, every moment, and not say oi vavoy and look back over our shoulders. No, let's not squander our precious hours on nostalgia and even worse, repeating the errors. Because going back to Egypt was never the solution. Shabbat Shalom from Jerusalem. <laughs>